Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Today we're going to talk about hope. And I'm going to kind of get right into this thing. Advent. I've said this to you for a few weeks, but I want to make sure, just in case you weren't in the room, you have a clear understanding. Advent means the coming. It's not a Catholic thing. It's not a Lutheran thing. It's a Christian thing. It's a thing that we should come to understand that it's Christmas itself is not a day. Christmas is a season that people should celebrate, that the people who are, belong to God should long for, expect, live in every single day. Not just even this month, but every day all of their lives. We have a hope that's eternal. Our hope should be eternal. And we should express it as eternal. Amen? And so, unfortunately, that's not often the case in the society we live in. We live in a consumer-minded society. People don't think of Christmas as, a, as an opportunity, even on Christmas Day, to worship Jesus. I can't tell you how many times, well, I can tell you how many times, twice. Christmas has been on Sunday since we started the church. And without fail, I get no less than 20 calls asking if we're canceling service on Christmas Day. To which I respond, have you lost your mind? <laughs> I wouldn't consider having a birthday party even for my own grandbaby and then not show up for it. It's his day. It's his season. It's his year. It's his eternity. It all belongs to him. We should celebrate it at all times. The day wasn't created so that we could go shopping, so that we could receive gifts, so that we could give gifts. The day was given so that we could memorialize the indescribable gift that we were given in Christ Jesus. Amen? And the reason I think the society is lacking the way that it does is because, one, it doesn't have an understanding of the hope that it has because those who hold the hope hold it behind their shuttered teeth. And we shouldn't. We should declare the hope that we have. This hope in us should be so big that it oozes out of every part of us to the world around us. Because our hope is real and it's tangible. People, oh, it's not tangible, it's spiritual. It's tangible. I feel I could literally live in the hope that I have. My life turns upside down, I have hope in Jesus. My health turns upside down, I have hope in Jesus. My finances turn upside down, I have hope in Jesus. Because at the end of the time, at the end of it all, 10,000 years from now, none of those things are going to matter because I have a hope in Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so this whole thing, I want to talk to you about the hope that we have. But I want to define hope for you specifically in regard to the Christian definition. And I've written it down, so pardon me if I'm going to read it verbatim. It is the confident declaration. Everybody say confident declaration. Confident declaration. 
Guys, we got to get confident in our declaration of the hope that we have, or you don't have hope. The Christian hope is a confident declaration that God is faithful. That he will complete what he has begun. And is also, therefore, that confident expectation which waits patiently and enthusiastically for God's purposes to be fulfilled. And you know what? They will be. If the Word of God says they will be. Because the Word of God can be trusted. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that if you have this hope in you, there should be a confident declaration that flows out of you. Because it's tangible, it's real, it's given to you for a purpose, not just for your own salvation, so that others might have the same hope that you have. For how will they know unless someone tells them? And so I want to talk to you about hope today, and I'm going to make three points. We need to know our hope is sure, unshakable, faithful, because the one in whom we place our hope, Jesus, is sure and immovable and unshakable. So I'm going to make three points today, and here's the first one. Jesus brought hope. Jesus brought hope. I'm going to send you to, I'm doing a topical sermon today. I don't typically do that, but I'm going to because there's a lot of different places I want to talk to you out of today. But I'm going to start in the thing that we all pass by without paying much attention to, the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> we read that, man, we get bored. So-and-so was the father of so-and-so and whatnots and the who and the... Nations and the nations, the father of this guy and this guy and that guy. Let me tell you, you need to pay attention to the genealogy because there's a beautiful story of hope there. <clears throat> Let me also say, I hear people say, Bob or Rob, it's okay if you can't pronounce it, just pronounce it Bob and Rob. Learn to pronounce it. Here's why I challenge you to do that. Because almost every name given in Scripture has a meaning. And you need to know how to declare that meaning. You need to know what that meaning is. If somebody gave me a name, which they did, and somebody pronounced James, James, I would be fussy about that. If God thought it by the power of His Holy Spirit, important enough to put it in the Word, we should remember it. Amen? Or at least be able to pronounce it. <clears throat> I know some of y'all are all, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't care. That's fine. That's just how I personally feel. I mean, that's not a heaven or hell issue. It's just my personal conviction. But inside of this genealogy, we see this. Verses 2 through 6, we say Abraham to David. From the time of Abraham, when the covenant of Abraham was given till David... We largely see fulfilled promise upon fulfilled promise upon fulfilled promise. Now, Israel fell and was restored multiple times through there, but ultimately, promises upon promises, glory to glory was established, and the kingdom of Israel was established. The Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, was established in these verses, in these time frames. 
from verses 7 to 10, from Solomon to Jeconiah, was a time of relatively consistent decline. After David, heir after heir, with the exception of just a few, after heir after heir, fell further and further and further into sin and decline, and hope was lost. You know why hope was lost? Because the word of God wasn't kept. There was a time during that time that they found, after many years, the law inside the temple, covered in dust, stored away. Nobody had seen it. Where the word isn't projected forward, where the word isn't spoken, where the word isn't meditated on, where the word isn't understood, hope is lost. And so we see this time of blessing decline into a time of hopelessness. And then in verses 11 through 16, from Babylon to Jesus, we see hope turn into almost utter obscurity. Hope was all but lost. The people had been displaced. There are 400 years 400 represented in this one sheet of paper. This one sheet of paper that doesn't say anything on it. The time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Nobody heard from God in 400 years. Do you know why that is? It's not because God didn't desire to talk to them. I'm convinced of that. I believe it's because they did not paying attention to the word, not adhering to the hope that they had, lost the hope that they had and God knew talking to them had gotten to a point where it wasn't going to make much difference and so he let them wait in hopes that their waiting would restore their hope. 400 years. It's almost as double the time the United States has existed and nobody heard from God. Why do I bring all that up? I bring it up to, because I, I used to ask myself this question. I used to wonder all the time, with all the prophecies, all the prophets of the Old Testament concerning the coming Messiah, and there are a bunch of them, and every one of them regarding who he was, his birth, his life, his ministry, and his death and resurrection have come true without exception. Here's the question. If they had those available to them, how could you lose hope? And the answer to that question is relatively simple. They stopped paying attention to the word that was given to them. Guys, I, I implore you all the time, read your Bible. I see hopelessness all the time in this room in about every room I go into. But there is hope in this word because this word declares a single message of hope that God came to restore and redeem his people back to himself, not just for now, but for all eternity. And I can count on that, and you can count on that. Do you know why? 
because Numbers 23, 19 says this. And listen, I need you to listen to the words that I'm telling you today. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. That means that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Those are rhetorical questions. They don't require answer. God is so faithful that we don't need to answer that question because we know he will do it and he will make it good because it's not that he won't lie. It's because in his perfection, he's incapable of lying. And so if there's a promise in the word of God, then guess what? I can hang my whole life on the nail that is that promise and have absolute assurance, hope, that it'll come true in my life. And so can you. My whole point here today is to show you there's a hope worth holding on to. And that hope started early. As early as Genesis 3.15. That happens to be the same chapter as we read it where man, of, where man failed to sin, to temptation. And God made this promise to us. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the devil. And begin in between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Jesus was the embodiment of this promise. He is saying, listen, you might have had this, but there will come a time when I'm going to put enmity and strife between you and a seed of a woman. And my will restore and redeem my people. You know what I can say? I can say that's a promise. That's a declarative statement of Jesus, of God, that Jesus Christ is coming. And in fact, he is come. Because what good is a prophecy? What good is a statement or a promise if it doesn't come true? But it has come true, and so I can hope on it. Because there's a promise for it. Can I tell you? Lean into the promises of God. The promises of God will not weaken when you lean on them. They will strengthen you when you lean on them. So lean on them. Lean on them. Guys, I don't know how to... If I could figure out a way to more passionately tell you, your hope is found in Scripture. As it reveals Christ Jesus. Yes, and your acceptance of that truth. If I could figure out a more passionate way to say it, I would do it. I'd set myself on fire. Just, to, just so you could watch me burn, as the guy said. If that's what it took for you to believe that what I'm telling you is true. Because it is absolutely true. And so I want to talk to you. What hope did Jesus bring with his coming? What prophecies did he fulfill? All of them. Well, all of them concern up to the point of his life, ministry, death, resurrection, sitting at the right hand of the Father. There are still some prophecies left to come true. But let me tell you, every other prophecy concerning up to that point is absolutely true. I want to read some examples to you from the book of Isaiah and speak them to you and kind of explain them a little bit. Not that they require a lot of explaining. Isaiah 7, 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, 
and she will call his name Emmanuel. Two things I want to say about this verse. The world will tell you a virgin can't have a baby. Yeah, that's right. And 99.9% .9 to infinity, they can't have a baby. Yeah. Because they haven't done what's necessary to have a baby. But all things are possible with God. People say, well, Jesus can't be real because a virgin, you're saying a virgin had it. Listen, God put us on this planet. You don't think he can do with us whatever he desires to do with us? We serve a God of the impossible. That's right. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to you. That's the whole need for faith. So that the things that don't make sense to us, we still hold his evidence in our hand. But that's not the only thing I want to say to you. Not only do we serve a God of an impossible, but it says you, you, his name shall be Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Well, this is good. You ready? We needed a God with us so we could have a, a Messiah, which is a God who saves us. Praise God for a God with us who felt everything we felt, who was burdened by every burden we've been burdened by, tempted by every sin you've been tempted by, and still lived a perfect, exemplary life that allowed him to be sacrificed perfectly before an altar once, forever, and always so that he could be the Messiah, the God who saves us. That's what that word tells me. And he did it. And so that prophecy is true. And because he did it and that prophecy is true, we should have hope. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. People get freaked out by the anointed word. Let me tell you what that means. It just means set me aside. But you know, God sent Jesus set him aside for this work. That plan was from before the foundations of the earth to save you. Long before you were born, Jesus was set aside for this work. Amen? He anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners. Let me tell you, Jesus did all of those things. He brought good news to the afflicted. That is the gospel message. If you've ever been afflicted by anything, let me tell you, give your life to Jesus. Your physical affliction may continue, but your spiritual affliction is gone forever. Your eternity starts the day that you give your life to the Lord. And so not only are you subject to the good news because of Jesus, but he binds up the brokenhearted. I watch people cry. I see their heartbreak. You do too. You're not blind to it. But Jesus and the peace of the Holy Spirit has the ability to take those pieces of that heart and bind them back together, to sew them back together, to mend them back together into wholeness so that you might walk in wholeness to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. You know why? Because he came to bring freedom to those who were slaves to sin. Yeah, and indeed he has. Yeah. Guys, that's good. These, these words were spoken hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Yeah. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. And he fulfilled every one of them. Yeah. 
In Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, this one we're familiar with, surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. That means we thought him a curse, not a blessing. It means we set him aside, but not in a good way. Which is exactly what they did. That's why they had. That's why they hung him on a cross because they they thought he was a liar. Or they didn't want to comprehend or understand or even care about who he said he was, or even apparently even look into it. And afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you what a couple of these words mean. Griefs. He surely our griefs, our sicknesses, the things that distress us, he himself bore. Our sorrows, our mental and physical pain, he bore. Our transgressions, our violations of the law, he took upon himself. He took on our sin, the one who knew no sin. He was crushed for our iniquities, for our wickedness. He received the penalty of the judgment and the wrath of God. The chastening, the infliction of suffering for our well-being fell upon Him. Why? For our well-being. Because we deserved it and didn't get it. And by His scourging, by the literal stripes and tearing of the flesh away from His bones, we are healed. People ask me, why, why aren't you a cessationist? Because I am healed. Because the covenant still stands. Because there's no place in Scripture where the Word of God says that stuff is over. Jesus was prophesied to bring, that He would bring, and has brought hope to us. And that hasn't stopped for us. Amen? Number two, in these truths, they're hard to understand. They would be impossible to understand if Jesus not only brought hope, but Jesus is still bringing hope. Jesus brings hope. We hope on the Lord because He is the only promise of our salvation. Whether you're saved and need to repent or never been saved and need to repent, your hope rests in Christ Jesus alone. By faith alone. To the glory of God alone. Do you hear me? The world has lied to you. There is no other name in heaven by which a man should be saved, except for the name of Jesus, according to Acts 4.12. No other name. There's no transcendental meditation. There's no weirdness. There's no whatever, Buddha or Muhammad or any of those. It is by the name of Jesus. And you can't mix Jesus with any of those others and still have Jesus. It's Jesus, period. Jesus, as we're learning on Wednesday nights going through Colossians, Jesus plus nothing is what saves us. Amen? Jesus said so himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, what? 
but through me. How do we come to the Father? Through Jesus. Amen. I love it when we have participation time. <laughs> because without the work of Jesus, we'd still be enemies of God. Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If I haven't done anything else, I've tried to stamp three verses in you. That one, John 3.16 and Romans 10.9. So that you'd not only know what saves you, but what you could say to someone else that they might be saved too. But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we've fallen short, we deserve the wrath of God. Yes, we do. That's right. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God. And I don't know what that is, but that must mean perfect wrath because God is incapable of anything imperfect and the perfect wrath of God must be horrifying. But Jesus took it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Did you know every time you do something unrighteous, you're suppressing the truth and you deserve the wrath of God again? You deserve the wrath of God. You deserve the wrath of God. You deserve the wrath of God. You're all, man, you're being all condemning for a message on hope. I'm not being condemning. I'm trying to give you hope so you don't get condemned. Because I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to avoid the judgment and the wrath of God. Amen. Because the Bible tells me so. Hmm. We deserve death. But God didn't give us death. He gave us Jesus. Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We were justified by his blood. All the charges against you, brothers and sisters, all of them removed, Thank you. not covered. I don't like that verbiage. I've been covered in the blood. No, you haven't. You've been washed clean with the blood. You've been chiseled free with the blood. You've been made brand new by the blood. If I've just been covered, you can wipe that off. Ain't nobody wiping nothing off me, brother. You have been washed clean as though you've never been charged. Standing innocently before the throne room of God. Have hope. Have hope. And in that, our righteousness has been restored. That's so good. Isaiah 61.10b says this, For He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Pay attention to this. He's clothed me with garments and wrapped me with righteousness. My hope should cause me to live as though I am completely in Christ reflecting Christ and no piece of me should be exposed for the world to see. When people look at me, they should see Jesus. And we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But by the grace of God, there's the act of repentance. It's time we start paying attention to the grace we've been given. Finally, number three, Jesus will bring hope. Jesus brought hope, brings hope, even today, to those who believe, and will bring hope 
I want you to listen to these passages, this group of texts that I'm about to read to you. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. Do you know what that means? That means Him being the first fruit. The next fruit is us. And that fruit will be forever imperishable and undefiled. It will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The completion, full, absolute fulfillment of the salvation that you have, the promise that you've been given, will be recognized, seen, no longer hoped for, but seen in eternity, undefiled forever. And that brings me hope. Amen. Life's hard, man. Life's hard. But Jesus brings us hope. It's by His work, His covenant, His beating, His scourging, everything that He did, His life, His ministry. We were able to move out of the Abrahamic covenant and into the New Testament covenant. No longer required by law to adhere to the law, but to live in grace. And because of that, we should remember the grace that we have, the sacrifice that was made so that we might have hope. And that's what I want to do today. We're going to take communion together in anticipation of and expectation of this imperishable and undefiled promise that we have. Amen? And so if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and those of you who have been to church here any amount of time, knows that these are these are my go-to communion verses. And I'm probably not going to change because they're important. And here's why they're important. I'm going to start in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood Thank you. of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Are you hearing me? For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep because they didn't judge the body rightly. But if you, we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. I am absolutely convinced and I have a personal conviction that communion should never be taken without an opportunity for repentance. Because you need to judge yourself so that you not be judged. That's what the Bible says. Examine yourself. Judge yourself rightly so that you might not be judged. That's the first thing. And so I ask you, we're going to say a prayer in a minute. If there's anything in you that needs to repent, any sin in you, any unrighteousness in you that is suppressing the truth, which means is causing the truth to be foggy in your brain. To not have a true clerical or a true clarity and understanding of it. 
confession will remove that brain fog and will give you clarity to the hope that you have. But also it'll ensure that you are judged correctly. And I don't know about y'all, man, but I'd rather check myself than stand at the throne room of God and have him check me. The second thing is it says, and many of you are sick or sleep because you didn't judge rightly. Did you know Jesus Christ took stripes on his back, scourged for our healing? And because of that, when we take of the covenant, which is what we're doing, I believe it's the best opportunity we have to ask God for healing in us, to ask God for wholeness in us, to ask God to heal us physically, spiritually, mentally, whatever we're struggling with. God is capable and He wants to. And with these two things in mind, examination and wholeness, let us pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and thank you, Lord, that you give us an opportunity to judge ourselves at all, that you don't just condemn us as we rightfully deserve, but you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that he might be judged, that he might absorb your wrath, not us. But God, you, your word requires that we check ourselves and that we repent of anything within us that stands unrighteously against the truth. So God, if there's anything in us, some of us know immediately what that thing is. I challenge you to call that out. For those of us who don't, Lord, can you by the power of your Holy Spirit, as we pray, Lord, if there's anything in us that I, I haven't even remembered to ask forgiveness for. Bring that to my recollection that I might be restored to righteousness. I praise you, Lord. I thank you. God, also I pray if there's any person in this room who is sick, that has a mental, physical, or spiritual issue, Lord, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you do only that which you can do. God, as we said, we lean into the promises and become stronger because of them. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you give us to partake of this covenant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the cup. This The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The awesome thing about proclaiming his death until he comes is that we get to believe and hope for a life until he comes. Amen.